What's new with Wimpy and Popey these days? Working in the same room. Oh, really? Now, are you going to Wimpy's co-located space? Yes. It's bizarre. Very weird. Very weird place. Oh, really? This place has different themes, right? Yeah. I We sat in the, the boat theme, so it was like a pirate ship with, <laughs> like, distressed wood and, like, um, rigging and sails and stuff. It was very bizarre. Um uh, but just across the way was Narnia, um, and there were there's like an open space with sofas, and there were people sat there with their feet up, with their shoes off, just like they're lounging around at home on the sofa with a laptop. It's it's very chilled. I like it. That sounds really cool. I did see some pictures, and I thought that was I think that Wimpy posted. Yeah, it's nice, and it was it was lovely to have Alan there in person today. Oh, still. Oh, I bet. Ga- you ga- tomorrow. Gazing into your beautiful green eyes across across the table of the pirate ship. When you take that out of context, it really makes no sense. That's that makes no sense at all. I'm going to speak to <laughs> HR tomorrow. <laughs> this is Linux Unplugged, episode 264 for August 28th, 2018. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Linux Unplugged, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly Linux talk show that this week is optimizing the market for Linux. I'm not quite sure, but we're going to figure out what that means. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. We'll be getting into the optimizing of markets and the new support coming to LVFS, as well as some big features that landed in Ubuntu Touch, some nice things coming to KDE, benchmarks that can't be benchmarked that then got benchmarked, And then we'll have the big discussion about what the heck Proton is, what Steam Play is, what Codeweaver's involvement with all of that is, and what shift has actually just happened. So we'll get all of that into the show as well. It's going to be a packed episode, so perhaps there will be some optimizing for market in there. We're yet to determine. And like every great episode of the Unplugged program, we've got that virtual lug. Time-appropriate greetings, Mumble Room. Hello. Hello. Greetings. Hello. Brent is joining us via the Mumble Room today. So if you didn't hear his voice specifically, he he is in there. Guys, it's great to be connected with all of you. And I'm looking at the news this week. And the thing I thought maybe we'd start with, because it didn't really fit with the rest of the theme, but I think it's a fascinating story, is this story from Fedora that uh, looks like they've moved ahead with plans to start dropping packages that have essentially bad security practices. They're just, they're drawing a line and they're saying this line no farther. And it appears to be aimed at removing packages from the Fedora package archive that have known security issues against them that are not getting addressed in a timely manner. Now, you might be thinking, doesn't that already happen? Uh, if If it's a critical or important security issue, and it's currently open against a package, or a security issue of lower severity has been open for at least six months, four weeks before the branch point, a procedure similar to some long-standing trimming procedures will be called into effect, and the package will be removed from the distribution. Is Cinnamon an official spin of the Fedora project? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. Well, you think this might apply to them? (laughs) Well, I'm not one to cast stones, but yeah, totally could. Hmm. Well, that's actually where I was going is I was thinking of XFCE or other projects that perhaps just have this really torrentially long lead time between updates. Like they could get caught up in this, couldn't they? Well, technically, although they've been in a round of updating their code bases, so a lot of their stuff is moving to 4.13 and what isn't has had other updates. Yeah, them specifically. Yeah, XFCE specifically. You know, I uh, no, I don't think so. Hmm. I think they'll be fine because what isn't already GTK three is built on top of GTK two and its associated technologies and has stood the test of time. And I think they'll be fine. It seems like too. It, may, it probably matters if uh, you know, like what what sort of application? Because if you have to get to the critical or important level of security issue, there might be some low hanging fruit of you know minor security problems for some of our favorite desktop applications that haven't been updated in a while, that's a less, much less of a big deal than an obvious flaw in something that's doing a lot of network traffic or functioning in a server aspect, right? So I can see why Fedora wants, wants to make sure that people can trust stuff coming from their archives. If it's just a, you know, an out-of-date program on your desktop, well, maybe I care less. I do feel like this is a big part of the end user being able to trust what's in that repo. That's what this is really about, is 
increasing confidence there and improving security. And this seems like a pretty easy way to automate that process that doesn't require a human being to go through and flag a project and then run a stopwatch and then come back and check on it. Like this is something computers can be pretty good at. It's also good to have clear guidelines so that downstream, you know, projects can be like, well, why, why was I removed? Well, here's our clear policy. Okay. Well, speaking of things that are getting better, LLVFS is having a banner couple of months. This is becoming more and more irresistible of a project to be involved with if you are in the hardware business that sells to Linux users. Some people still are. But boy, is it getting harder. And Real, Realtek couldn't say no. In fact, it looks like they may have been happy to say yes. Uh, Realtek engineers are adding USB 3.0 hub firmware support to FW FWUPD. Uh, a lot of these uh, multi-function USB-C dongles that you see, like I've got one that's got uh, Ethernet and HDMI on it, as well as a couple of USB-A ports. And those are actually, in most cases, connected internally with USB themselves to each other. You know, like another hub inside your hub. It's a bit of a hot mess, but there's so there's different subcomponents that need to be updated, and uh, that is what these the, the so the real tech chips that are in there is what LVFS is getting support for, and they're working on getting also support to update like the HDMI controllers that are that are real tech as well, and in sort of a in a nice turn of events, some of the hardware that's getting supported here hasn't even been released yet, so we're getting to the point with the project where in some cases vendors have an, at least enough awareness of this project, like Realtek did, to start working with them before the hardware is even out. And that's really great because it means when you get the hardware, it's just going to work out of the box with your Linux machine. That's huge. Yeah, there's quite a lot of momentum around um, LVFS right now, and it's really great to see. Um, it's at a tipping point, I think, and a good year ahead for the Linux desktop with uh, LVFS. Yeah, the project really does seem to be picking up steam. And I wonder if maybe other vendors that in the past have said it's not enough of a priority for us to fight with an upstream ODM or to reinvent our internal process. It's maybe now those decisions will be reexamined. I don't know. But we'll, we'll wait and see, I suppose. So the good news for the project, lots of really great hard work. And it's, it's really good to see them just roll this kind of stuff out. And speaking of really hard work, the chaps over at UbiPorts have been plugging away like machines and have just released OTA4. And Marius joins us from the project to tell us a little bit about it. First of all, congratulations on the new release, Marius. And I noted that you say this is the official starting point of the project. That's sort of the messaging here. What does that mean? Well, it basically means... Um, this is where we have used the time to to catch up and get to our our LTS base and a still supported um, base. So now we are on on sixteen four uh, LTS base instead of the old vivid uh, of fifteen oh four as right. it was before. And, okay, and that's sure. That's what we mean with the starting point is that we have we are used so long to to both build the infrastructure and build the build tools and build up a community. Uh, and now we are finally to a point where we can see everything is going smoothly in the development process, and 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 we are cut a to a point where we are on LTS, which is huge. Congratulations! And now does it, it does it feel like it's fully yours now? Like this is a community project now? It's an independent thing? Yeah, I I, I would say that. Um, but it, it's still based on Ubuntu, so we are really, really tied with, with Ubuntu ecosystem. And I, I really like that, being tied to to a strong base. Uh, so I, I wouldn't say we're independent in that way, but we're independent in, in a way that we are uh, we are doing something new, um, which is a, co- a community-based mobile operating system, uh, which is purely community uh, without any official backing or a company behind it. It's a project for for the rest of us to perhaps one day have the option to put life into a device or replace the operating system on a device. And it's not tied to one individual manufacturer. It's not tied to one individual strategic partner. It is really – it's making a people's operating system for our mobile devices like they should be, like, like you can do with an x86 PC. And uh, you make a good point that it's still totally based on that Ubuntu technology. But it does feel as its own independent – organism now, like its own independent thing that, like you say, is doing something new. Speaking of new, 
I noticed in this new release, there's some new power saving features and also a new upgrade wizard. Let's start with the power saving stuff. What's happening there? Is that is that uh, savings that you see because of kernel updates? Are there other tweaks that have taken place? This is tweaks that we have done to to utilize the, the wake locks or the Android wake locks, which is uh, the power saving, which is kernel based from Android. Um, and and since, since this... These kernel patches or these kernel APIs are really, really optimized for phones. Um, it was a good idea to use those wake locks in a in an efficient way, uh, as they was designed to. Uh, so that's what we have have done now. We use those uh, wake locks properly, uh, and we were really heavily based on on the thing when the process or when the phone is not in use. Uh, we want to to enable those wake locks or so processor go down to sleep and just keeps one core intact. Mm, that is cool. And then there's that upgrade wizard, which um, I didn't see that one coming, but I guess it does make sense. If you want to keep the same core install, you should be able to. Right. So we are currently on a kind of a rolling rolling release type. Um, and the problem with that that we, we saw is... Um, is app con- compatibility or app ABI compatibility uh, because some of the apps are compiled for for Vivid um, and when we opted to to Senio, uh, we had the issue where the apps was not compatible uh, because of New York Qt version and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so what this wizard does is is basically update all these apps for you uh, once you have upgraded uh, the system to a, a new base. This won't happen on every OTA. This is just for for major um, we call it framework change. Uh, so it, it's not something that that comes up on every OTA. With the switch to a 1604 base, what does that unlock in terms of things you want to achieve that you weren't able to do whilst you were based on 1504? The major thing is definitely being able to to get security patches upstream uh, to still be on a supported base. I think that's one of the major thing. Um, but there is other things like being able to run Anbox, which... Um, was not able to run on Vivid because of older version of of SDL and and all these libraries that uh, they use, um, and also newer version of Mesa, uh, a newer version of, of Mir, and, and all these these things that we want to upgrade at some point. Um, we we need newer version of pretty much everything, um, and since Mir is now targeted at Senior. Um, we don't have to backport things to to Vivid. The Mirror team will will make sure it builds on on Senior. Excellent, thank you. So let's shift to hardware for a second. I notice that things seem to be working pretty well on the OnePlus, with maybe the exception of Camera Zoom. So are we getting pretty close to another fully supported hardware device? Uh, I both yes. Um, I I would say this is. Uh, <laughs> This is the question Dalton warned me about saying anything. But um, so the thing with with hardware is, um, it's extremely hard, um, and we have to mm. do some some major changes to to be able to support Holium, uh, since we are we are running many components that are non-standard uh, in a way, um, and we want to to be closer to 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 the Holium or slash Mir. Uh, in one way, um, and that's that's quite a, some components to change out, mm. um, like for example the sensors and and TPS, and that's also why we say this is the starting point because now we can start doing all all the cool things with with Holium or with Unbox and and all these features we want to to implement since we now we have a solid base to do it on and a solid base to to start working on top of. Um, so so yeah. Definitely more devices coming. Um, I have two devices side by me that I have been been porting nonstop after <laughs> after the OTA for. Ah. So oh yeah, hmm, cool. No tease on what they are though. You're just saying there's a couple there. Uh, I can say one of them has uh, slim port out. So oh. oh okay. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. We'll have a link in the show notes where you can get involved, get more information, all of that. Just go to linuxunplugged.com slash 264 to get over there or ubports.com to go directly to the projects, projects website. Well, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome to stick around. 
as uh, we go on. I wanted to cover uh, this quick, just really, just not really totally worth covering, but super quick update. Last week, we mentioned that Intel and Debian were getting into it over a new license change that was going to prevent benchmarks that used their microcode, which would be all executions on your system. And uh, within about a few days after Linux Unplugged, there was a change in their policy. They 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 removed that section and made it clear that you can still benchmark, which we kind of speculated would happen. But I just wanted to kind of close the loop. It's like so many things that we end up covering. It seems like, you know, where uh, there's lots of drama up front and, well, in, in the back room, the parties got it resolved and now there's a, a sane part of the license and it makes it much more clear. Yeah. By the time we're getting the news and and people are starting to get their pitchforks, there's often already a response in the works. It's, it's so true. <laughs> Sometimes the hardest part of talking about something is not talking about it at all. How about a new feature? I bet Popey saw this uh, that's landing uh, in Kmail soon, and it's very Gmail-esque, and I love it. It's really cool. It's called uh, KDE Itinerary, and it's a couple, of, a couple of components, including one part that's called Prison, which is great. It's the part that takes care of barcode reading and uh, rendering. And then there's also some support in there mixed in there for Apple Wallet Pass files. I guess it turns out they're really nothing fancy. They're just a zip archive containing JSON data. Um, with some graphical assets for like your logos. Hey, that's easy. Uh, no big deal, right? So they're like, well, we can read that. And they 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 got that going. Um, and so there's this uh, Kmail plugin that they've uh, already got rendering Apple Wallet pass file attachments and uh, flight itineraries in Kmail. So like if you get an email confirming a flight, you get like this Google-like rendering in Kmail now showing you your flight information and you can like click on it and add it to your calendar. Yeah. This is this is awesome. This is totally awesome. I heard about this at Academy. You saw this? Yeah. They were talking about an Academy and the whole goal of this is um to be able to print out your boarding card or have your boarding card on your phone or your laptop or whatever without having some giant American company reading all your email, basically. You know, you want to be able to be in control of your data and the whole ethos that runs through a lot of KDE apps is privacy first, that the user's privacy is respected and they don't send your data off to third parties but analyze your data locally. And they've worked hard to analyze these emails that you get from your travel partners or you know the data that you get from a travel booking to be able to render your ticket or your boarding card or whatever Um, and it's hard it's a hard problem to solve because most of these other companies have solved it all on the server and they don't make anyone you know aware of what the format of this data is Um, so the kde teams have worked hard i say teams because a lot of people are involved in this um, in order to make it possible for you to board a plane using free software yeah, they're even they're even working on like a mobile end of it where you can pull it up on your mobile device and render it out so that way you don't have to hold Kmail up to the to the boarding scanner. <laughs> Which I, I really appreciate that. It does look really neat. And that concept you touched on there, that they looked at this and said, Well, right now this can be done by a few large US corporations. Wouldn't it be great if uh, we could do this locally on your machine? I would love to see more of that. More of that. And it's one of those things where right now you have to rely on yeah big corporations probably using a whole bunch of your data and big complicated machine learning models to try to parse this and make it nice. It felt very far away from anything open source. So to have something that seems so close to being workable right now, I'm impressed. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, Wimpy, are you still a MailSpring user? Is this still what you're using for mail? Have you have you had issues with MailSpring on high DPI? I do use MailSpring. I use it predominantly for my home email, and I use it occasionally for my work email. And that's mostly because I use Wavebox for work, which sort of consolidates calendars and email and Slack and various other online collaboration tools all in one place. So when I'm working, I tend to use Wavebox. But I do love MailSpring. As soon as MailSpring grows deep calendar integration, then I'll be in there all day, every day. Yeah, I'm, I'm finding that I am hitting the edges of it in, in, in calendar regards and also in uh, just the UI just keeps falling over. On, on I, have, I can't run it maximized on high DPI or else it won't render portions of the UI for me. Um, so I'm really – I'm not super thrilled with the state of native email clients on Linux. So I might look at this Wavebox – Take a look at that. I assume it's like some sort of service, but no. Wave Wavebox is a wrapper, oh, a yeah, wrapper for many. It used to be called W Mail back in the day, 
and has evolved. Yep. Uh, and it supports things like um, uh, Gmail, at, well, in fact, the Google suite. So when you add a Google account, it adds things like, you know, the calendar and Hangouts and Google Plus and a whole bunch of different services under a collapsible menu. Uh, but it also supports things like different Slack accounts and uh, Twitter and just a whole raft of stuff. And it's just a really elegant way. It's, it's basically like Pigeon for the 21st century. Yeah, that's that's interesting. You're right. It's like a it's a multi it's a multi service central. And I didn't used to have an appetite for that kind of thing, but now I do see the use case for it. Um, and as luck, just sheer luck would have it, <laughs> Wavebox Wavebox is available as a snap. Who would have guessed? Wow. Who would have guessed it? It's not like the developer was an early adopter and has been behind the platform since the very beginning or anything. There you go. So, Chris, Chris, I'm going to let, I'm going to let you into a little secret. All right. Sometimes I struggle uh, with my grammar and use of the right words in written English. No. And one of the, one, yeah, it's true. And one of the facilities of Wavebox is it has sort of whitelisted a selection of uh, Google Chrome extensions within Wavebox, one of which is Grammarly. Oh. So I now have Grammarly yes. enabled, and I now have Grammarly persistent across all of the sessions that I manage in Wavebox through my single Grammarly instance. Uh, and it has reduced typos and screw-ups in the written words significantly so yeah it's it's pretty fantastic wavebox is very elegantly and it's not like every extension imaginable it's just like the really useful stuff that optimizes your workflows hmm. and then you know for an extension like that i don't necessarily have to have it in the main browser and i could just keep it in wavebox exactly so, that, so. I, mm, <laughs> i'll be checking that out now, there was an article that ran over at linuxjournal.com by uh, Sareem, and it was on the 24th of the last week. And Sareem wrote in here that uh, the year of the Linux desktop has been a constant call to arms that's sunken into a joke <laughs> way past its expiration date. That's a good line, Sareem. That's a good line right there. Uh, and so he goes on to make a pretty compelling case. He says, today, what we have is a distribution-centric model. Software is distributed by an OSV, which is an operating system vendor. And users get their software directly from there via whatever packaging mechanism that OSV supports. This model has evolved because in the early to mid-1990s, those OSVs extended to existed, I should say, to compile the kernel and user space into a cohesive product. He's essentially setting up the role of what the uh, distro package maintainers had done. Packaging of applications was the next step as a convenience factor to save users from having to compile their own applications. Yep, I'd say that's pretty much the case. Ultimately, though, these operating system vendors, or OSVs, enjoyed being gatekeepers as part of keeping developers honest and fixing issues that were unique to their operating system. OSVs saw themselves as agents representing users to provide high-quality software, and there was a feeling that developers were not to be trusted, as, of course, nobody knows the state of their operating system better than they would. However, this model represented a number of challenges to both commercial and open-source developers. For commercial developers, the problem became how to maximize their audience as the Linux market consisted of a number of major OSVs and an uncountable number of smaller niche distributions. Commercial application developers would have to develop multiple versions of their own application targeted at various distributions for fear of missing out on a subset of users. Over time, commercial application developers would settle on using Ubuntu or a compressed tar file hosted on their website. Now he goes on to keep making the case here, and I'll leave it as an exercise to you to read the whole article. But he makes the case that the distro-centric model also makes it difficult for developers to have relationships with their users. There is no way to build a community around an application if users are getting their software from the distribution without any thought. He writes, this model, I believe, has reached its end of usefulness. In order to further scale the market for Linux applications, we need to move to a new model. Although we can never eliminate the distribution-centric model, nor should we, to reach scalability, we need to remove the OSV as the gatekeeper for application distribution and allow developers to control how they distribute their applications. This is a, this is a new iteration on a couple of conversations we've had semi-recently, Wes. 
Yeah, I mean, it absolutely is, right? That we we've, This has been a continued trend. We've been driven to alternative OSVs, even by the, the facet of we just need the software we need, especially when you're, you know, it's one thing if you just want to have a free open source desktop that you use casually to check some emails. But once you're doing real work, you have a much closer relationship with the people providing the software that lets you do that work. And you don't need a bunch of middlemen in the way. And that's been a big problem. So it's it's interesting to see it being addressed in so many ways. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, sometimes in in for business software, like it's a one-to-one relationship. The vendor specifically creates software for the business, and you're getting it from them. You know, there's no distribution required to be in the middle. Um, and so those would typically just be distributed as tar files or something like that. And then as we've watched the growth of snaps and flat packs, the conversation has become more and more often, hey, um, we're watching a shift here. I think this is, I think something we brought up just recently is these, these things like self-updating flat packs and self-updating snaps, what that represents is software developers pushing new software to a store or a repo, which then gets pushed down to your machine. And that's not how it used to work. It used to work that, you know, a Debian maintainer would review a package and then submit it to the repo. And then when there was a new version of Debian that would get cut, the new versions of packages would get cut. Like it was a way different process just even a couple of years ago. And there has been this huge shift with app images and all these other universal installers that we have just kind of sat back and watched um, and commented on now a little bit more. And I think that's in that context, that's why I'm, Pretty curious to see how, which I think is the first Libre Application Summit goes. It's happening next week in Denver, September 6th through the 9th, and it's hosted by GNOME, and it bills itself as an application summit that brings together application writers, distributions, toolkits, and OS plumbers to build an ecosystem that encourages building applications on free software operating systems. One of the nice things about the Libre Application Summit is GNOME has reached out to XSCE, um, uh, I think they tried to reach out to Solus, and uh, there's going to be a bunch of folks from Plasma that are going to be there. So it's not just about GTK, it's not just about the GNOME desktop, but uh, it's 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 being grown to reach out to the community at large. Did they um, contact anyone from the Electron community? Uh, was on a conference call today, and they're uh, reaching out to a few folks from there as well. Oh, good. Fantastic. If they need help with that, can you connect us? Because I can... I can help with that. Sure. Uh, shoot me a telegram and I'll, I'll get you connected. Right. Will do. Because, you know, obviously Electron on Linux sits on top of GTK, well, two or three, depending on which version of Electron you use. So there's obviously some, you know, overlap there. Might be a bit late in the day, but let's 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 have a go. All right. So, uh, Poby, Wimpy, Wes, <clears throat> you, you and I, we've all been to plenty of conferences. Um, is What do you think of this one? About a, a conference, and I think, you know, I think we're familiar with the background and all that, like uh, a conference to kind of get together and encourage application development on Linux. Um, where do we start with this? I'm curious to know your thoughts, Pope, because I think you and I learned about it at the same time on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I I would love to have gone, actually. I, I really wanted to represent us, but it's a, it's a terrible weekend for um people in the uk because that's when kids start back at school plus there's been a whole lot of other events so yeah. i was actually super keen to go along uh, but it's in the wrong continent at the wrong time um i i find it interesting that there's an event that that talks about um applications on linux i i'm interested to know who the target audience for this is whether it's um you know the kde people the gtk people the electron people and you know, cute and everyone else, and who they're going to be talking to? Are they going to be talking to each other and saying, "Yeah, we should get all this done"? And what are they get? What are the outcomes of this going to be? Or are they trying to pitch this to new developers, like students who are entering the market and just starting to develop? I, I'm I'm keen to understand who that target is, and for me, it isn't completely clear who the target for this event is. Well, I, I think that's something that's growing. I think this is the third year or so of, of this particular conference. There is a couple of talks on making projects interesting for students. Um, there's some talks being put on by KDE about how they do things. There's talks being put on by GNOME about how they do things. And uh, and someone I left out was uh, Elementary OS. Uh, they've got a couple of folks that are coming. Uh, so I think the target audience is application developers as a whole, be it new new developers, old developers. It, uh, I think it's trying to set a precedent for development of applications moving forward. 
I would have loved to have attended this event and also Guadec as well, representing uh, the Mate desktop. But as, as Alan has just explained, uh, the timing doesn't work uh, for, for me. Uh, and maybe next year I'll be able to get involved. If there's anyone who is listening from uh, the organizing committee or who is going to be there, one of the things I learned recently was uh, when I was at the Electron Maintainers Summit, an electron being dependent on GTK2 traditionally and more so GTK3 in the recent versions of Electron, they were shocked to learn at the ABI breakage that existed through sort of ele- through GTK in recent years and the fact that they had deliberately built against old versions of GTK thinking they were going to bake in some kind of, you know, legacy forward compatibility and then horrified to learn that, you know, it, it segfaults like a bastard and it's, <laughs> and it's a big fat mess. Um, and, you know, we need to think beyond what are the traditional Linux application developers now you can think what you like about Electron and you can be wrong about that and that's fine. <laughs> but the majority of development that happens on the Linux desktop right now that is relevant to the world that we live in happens in the Electron sphere and we need to invite those people into our world and educate them to the nuances of the way that we do things and the peculiarities of our toolkits and also seek their feedback on how we are going to accommodate enterprise class application developers on our platform. I also was really hoping to make it this year. It's a long shot for me because I will be traveling during that time, but I will be traveling home because I want to see the kids for school. <laughs> so I, I'm I'm really torn because it's a it's a it's a it seems like a it seems like an event that I really support, and that's why I wanted to give them some time here on the show to talk about it a little bit because I think the idea is good. How do we get different projects together, uh, all with the same goal of making app, uh, Linux a better platform to develop applications for? Build a network of people that that are interested in that, right, and can provide support and fast feedback. And I'm excited to see what the second version of this looks like. If this can get off off the ground rolling really well, I'm sure the next one will be even better, more people, and probably we can tell a little bit more about what it's all going to be about. So Eric, the IT guy, if you end up getting to go, uh, you'll be our reporter on the ground. You can report back and let us know, okay? I will definitely be there, and I'm checking up with uh, one of the folks from System76 offered me a, a place to sleep, which made it financially affordable. So uh, yeah. I'll be making the drive next Wednesday morning. Oh, doing a road trip style. Good, good. That's how I like to do it, too. I like to do it that way. All right, guys. Well, I think it's going to be a good show. I don't think I'm going to make it. But if you do make it and you want to join us, too, and uh, share your experiences like Eric will, you are welcome to. Um, We do this show live on Tuesdays. You can go to jblive.tv. Usually starts around 2 p.m. Pacific, but it's all converted at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to your local time. And you don't even have to hang out in the mobile. You can just come watch the show if you want. In fact, I would encourage you to join us next week because we have a really great show planned for next week with some special guests. And I think it'll be a good one. So uh, join us live next week, jblive.tv, on Tuesday. And if you make it to uh, the Libre Application Summit, uh, first of all, tell them to choose a different name than last. And then let us know how it went. Now let's take a moment and thank a few of our sponsors. I want to get... After the sponsor block here, I want to get into Proton. I want to get into Steam Play, and I just want to leave as much room for it as we want. If it's a five-minute conversation, if it's a 55-minute conversation, I think there's a lot to get into. Uh, We've dug into some of the technicals here, done some testing, quote-unquote, for you, you know, the hard work. Um, But also I've been talking to people in the audience that uh, for some it's the end of the world and for some it means they can now fundamentally switch to Linux. And I've gotten a couple of stories that have gotten me kind of hyped um, because I, I am at a point right now where Windows applications are just not a thing I need anymore. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to be high and mighty. It's just I've, I've spent years sort of systematically avoiding Windows. And so uh, I really haven't built up a, a demand of applications that I need. And uh, I, 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 that even extends to games. If the game wasn't available for Linux, that's fine. I've got plenty of games to play. So it took me a little bit to get my head around why I should care about this. I mean, obviously I care because it's a lot of cool stuff happening for people that like to use Linux. That makes me care. But why should I personally get excited about this? 
Uh, and when I started hearing some people's stories and I started digging into what's happening here, uh, I got excited. And I'm going to share with you what I've learned, uh, including I, uh, I contacted uh, the folks at uh, Code Weavers and I got some official uh, statements from them on what, what their involvement with all of this was. And so we can clear up all of that. So let's start by thanking Ting. You can start by going to linux.ting.com. That's how you support the show and get $25 off a device or if you bring a device, $25 in service credit. Your average Ting bill is just 23 bucks. So that $25 will pay for more than your first month. It really makes a difference. And that's because it's smarter than unlimited. You just pay for what you use. However much you talk, text, and data you use, that's what you pay. If you're visiting the state sometime, grab a Ting line. You can get a SIM card, pop it in a device that's compatible, check their BYOD page. They have CDMA and GSM, which means you've got a lot of options to choose from. There's no contract, so when you're ready to go after, you're t- after you've been visiting, you could disable it if you want. You could also just keep it. It's $6 a month for the line. I mean, it's $6 plus whatever Uncle Sam's going to cut, and then your usage. So if you want to just keep a Ting line, you can. It's, it's pretty economical. They have a great control panel that lets you manage all of this and set up alerts and usage stuff. And also, great customer service that's always ready to help you out. Devices you can buy directly or bring one. They have a great BOIOD page, and the entire activation process can be done through their website. If you want to do it at 1 a.m. while you just have a wild hair and you just don't feel like talking to another human being, well, that's how I activated my Evo. And it worked. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I assumed I'd have to call. Um, I activated my Evo 4G WiMAX edition uh, over four years ago. Popped that sucker in, and I got $25 in service credit. And when it paid for more than my first month, I've never, ever gone back. Canceled Verizon, moved my other phones over. It was great. I went from paying 120 before taxes, so it was more like 145 per month, to sometimes like maybe 45 <laughs> It's just, it was a huge shift, huge shift. And uh, I, I just, I'll never forget that experience. And you can try it out too by starting going to linux.ting.com. Now, DigitalOcean. Now, if you want to, you want to be, you want to make big podcasts, you want to uh, make big, make big projects, you want to look like, you know, like you got a big data center. I, I don't know where I'm going with that really, other than to tell you DigitalOcean's how you do it. DO.co slash unplugged. I say that because within 55 seconds, you can have something on their enterprise grade SSDs, 40 gigabit connections coming into their hypervisors, data centers all over the world. Like it's a, it's a legitimate setup and you have access to it and you can get it for hundred dollars of a credit and just try it out for like 60 days. And it's yours to like have as a data center infrastructure. You wrap your head around that concept. Like you can just go deploy systems when you want them now. And it's great. It's nothing like it used to be. You know, when I'd have to get a system set up, it would be a two week lead time before the vendor would even ship the parts. And then you got to put it in the rack and then you got to pay for power. You got to pay for internet and, you know, T1 lines like a thousand bucks a month. <laughs> and, and now for, Three cents an hour, I can have four gigs of RAM, two CPUs, 80 gigabytes of enterprise-grade SSD, three terabytes worth of transfer, and a dashboard that is an industry-leading dashboard. Like, nobody does it like this. They set the bar. They're trusted by over a million developers, and the pricing is straightforward and predictable. And when you go to do.co slash unplugged, you get a $100 credit when you sign up with a new account. You can try them out. See what I've been talking about? Maybe go get off Dropbox and move over to NextCloud. I'm just saying, you know, they've got some good infrastructure for that. I've been running a NextCloud instance up there for about two years as like a like a like a like a stop, like a hot test, you know, like a hot standby. It's great. It's great. I've recently attached 25 gigs worth of additional storage. <laughs> Love it. What? Mm-hmm. Love it. It's just it's just perfect. So go check it out, do.co slash unplugged and get started. And then last but absolutely not least. A big thank you to Linux Academy. I would tell you to go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged, but I'm actually say don't do that. I mean, do it, but don't do it until September 3rd because they're doing a huge sale. You can buy out the whole year for $2.99. Just, just be done for the year. $2.99, you get access to everything. And uh, that's a great deal. That's, a, that's, that's, like, that's like phenomenal pricing. And it, the value you get from that is mind-blowing. That is an, that is an, the books alone back in the day to take those courses would have been four or $500. Like I can't even with you right now with this. So go to Linux Academy, but wait until September 3rd, because on September 3rd, Monday, they're starting a $2.99 a year sale. And I think that's the best deal that they've been doing ads on this network since 2014. And I think that's the best deal 
that we have ever seen. So go to Linux Academy, but just wait a couple of days <laughs> and then sign up. It's a platform to learn about Linux, everything that Linux runs or runs on Linux, including the things that are really going to make your resume look good. And it's stuff that's put together by full-time training architects who specialize in this stuff, like they're from the field and they're creating the courseware and they're answering your questions. And now they're doing a sale that is way beyond anything I've ever seen. So go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged on, on Monday and September 3rd, 2018, and look for that $2.99 a year sale. Dig around until you get it. That's, that's, that's the best tip I've had for the Linux Academy for a long time. Plus, they just launched all that new content. It's all in there. All the new – the labs, the, 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 the interactive guides. Like, it's all in there as part of that. So it's a great deal. Linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Unplugged program. Thanks to all of our sponsors for sponsoring this year's show. Okay. So there we go. Sponsor blog is done. Uh, we have, uh, we've done our business for the day. Now we get to just uh, play around. So let's talk about Steam Play. We can have fun. Yeah. Oh, I was having fun. Let me tell you, I was having fun. But now, now this is a whole new kind of fun. This is like an emulated fun. <laughs> but don't call it an emulator. Um, all right. So let's talk about Steam Play, which we were speculating about on Linux Action News. And then it came out and boom, here we have it. And the core of Steam Play is really something called Proton. That's what's sitting underneath the Steam client is this Proton system. And I, I don't know, Wes, I'd say it's probably fair to describe Proton as something that's made up of many parts. Well, yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right about that. And, you know, there's lots of, lots of little bits keeping those parts together in a way that you, the happy Steamed end user, hopefully doesn't have to care about. Yeah, yeah, there's like uh, the way they've built this thing, uh, they being the people that have contributed to it, is... Um, like there's different shims in there for different types of Windows gaming technology. So there might be a shim in there specifically for DirectX 12, which is much more Vulkan-like at lower levels and requires less translation. Uh, and there's also shims in there for older versions of DirectX, right? Yeah, there's older ones and, and of, you know, DirectX 9, Direct, DirectX 11, of course. Plus they've had to do some, you know, some other work just to make things play nice, like better full screen support, game set support. And, of course, they have their own things to integrate, like better, better things for Steamworks targeting native APIs, better open VR support. There's, there's just a lot in this one title. So Valve has posted Proton up on GitHub, and when you look through some of the issues that have been closed, there is a comment in there who's a collaborator on the project who is a Codeweaver's employee, and I believe his name is Eric, and he writes, we've been working on Proton for a long time. We've needed an internal code name for it, and we couldn't really tip our hat if it leaked. So we had to, we had to decide how the heck are we going to name Proton? What do we refer to it as? He says, uh, we didn't want it to be something that would be in, we'd be embarrassed after using it after release, so no badger, 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 um, and a bunch of ideas that were kicked around the Code Weaver's office one afternoon, and it ended up, we picked Proton because it's short, easy to remember, sounds cool, and it's hard to Google for. <laughs> so I was like, interesting. What did Code Weavers have to do with this? Because I've heard about Valve. I've heard about Valve financing developers. I've heard about Valve's investment in Linux gaming. I've heard about SteamOS. But what, what did Code Weavers have to do with this? Code Weavers are the folks that make crossover Office for Linux and Mac that lets you run lots of applications, including games. And Jeremy White, their CEO, blogged the day of the announcement that they've been working directly with Valve for two years on this effort. And that got my interest, but it wasn't good enough. I said to myself, that doesn't make any sense because Valve is technically a competitor in some ways. Like this makes there be less demand for crossover office uh, because a huge part of it is making Windows games work that don't normally work very easily under Wine. So I emailed uh, Crossover. I said, guys, could you clear this up for me? Because I, I, it sounds like from what I'm reading, I'm getting vague implications that Code Weavers was fairly involved with Proton. Um, and it's, it's true. I asked, did you have dedicated staff to work on Proton? And they write, yes, we did have dedicated staff. Was a large portion of the code of the code to Proton contributed by code weavers. And they say that we contributed to wine for this project and contributed a great deal of the Proton glue code. There's a lot of other folks who contributed as well. And we've been amazed by the amount of energy that valve continues to bring into this, um, I asked if this was actually started in-house at Code Weavers, and the answer I got there was, we have worked with Valve on this from the beginning. In other words, to me, that sounds like Valve 
contacted them and said, here's something we want to do and we think you're the folks to hire to do it. Because that is something that Code Weavers has done before for other folks. We have worked with Valve on this from the beginning. To me, sounds like someone from Valve reached out to them from the very, very, very beginning of this project and said, we want to make changes to Wine and we want to work with you to do it. I asked if it was um, always intended to be used by Valve or if they started as an internal project to use it. And they say uh, their sole intention was working with Valve to create this for them. The last follow-up question that I asked was if we would see some of these improvements make it into upstream wine and crossover office. And they said, yes, absolutely. Uh, the crossover Linux product will contain all of the wine goodness that we have contributed upstream. The Proton bits aren't really necessary for that as generally uh, our product already has all of the glue bits that we already need, like picking the different DirectX levels and setting up the wine uh, bottles. But they are exploring using DXVK, but it gets tricky as they also consider macOS a part of their customer base, um, and it's a different set of applications requirements. But it does sound like Code Weavers, from, from the very, very beginning of this effort, was involved and was working with Valve to build this thing and then contribute those improvements upstream to Wine. I mean, that kind of makes sense. We'd seen some movement on the Direct3D12 implementation, VKD3D. Uh, I had been, I think a lot of people had been kind of like, well, where's this coming from? Who's who's funding this? Why is this a wine project? I mean, it made sense that it would fall under that that umbrella, but, you know, that's a big undertaking to come, uh, come out of nowhere. So I'm sure, you know, knowing that they had the support that this bigger hidden undertaking was happening, that's a lot of confidence, a lot of, a lot of runway to build something that takes a long time to get a usable product. Mm. I feel like they valved up the announcement a little bit, sort of a typical thing. It's a pretty solid announcement, but they managed to do something small that just really sets the impression. And they they had this they had this initial list of like fifteen supported games, and two or three, four of them are like modern this year games, and the rest are all like old games that nobody cares about that nobody's trying to run on Linux. Uh, you know, stuff that came out years ago, years ago. Uh, and it just reinforces this impression that, you know, these old, old, you can't get all these games on Linux. Like it's just, it was this really odd list of games that I, I felt like was actually more harmful than good. Because when you look at the actual list that the community is maintaining of games that work, it's astronomically large. I'll have some links in the show notes. It is huge. There are so many well-supported games. And I'll tell you, when it clicked for me was when I realized I could play Age of Empires 2 again. That is, I swear to God, Microsoft is never going to release that game. They'll never update Age of Empires 2 or 3 for Linux. I'm just SOL. But now with this and the community list where where, I can, where they tell you what tweaks to make, I, I can play those old games again. And it's pretty exciting. It represents a significant shift of availability. Again, that's not a perfect solution. Not everything works. And sometimes you got to implement some workarounds. But we just probably got another thousand games that work on Linux. And some of them are AAA titles. So with that all said, I feel like uh, I must defer to the elite gamer of the group, Mr. Martin Wimpress, and get your impressions on this news. Well, it's humbling to know that you recognize my status in this discussion. Um, yeah, we, we talk about this on a recent Ubuntu podcast and my take is that, you know, I've, I've never, until Steam came to Linux, I was never a gamer on Linux. You know, I used consoles as the means by which to consume games. And as soon as Steam arrived for Linux, then I, I was able to game on a platform that I really believed in. And this just extends the corpus of um gaming catalog that i have access to now um and in particular i you know i I, there's a particular genre of games that i enjoy most which is racing games um and i've installed dozens uh in fact purchased and installed dozens of these windows titles on um the new steam client beta and had a wonderful time revisiting some classic uh, racing games that I've not played for years, and also some new games that I really wanted to play but but didn't have access to, and I'm now able to. And I'm sure there are going to be rough edges along the way, but I think this is a net positive for us. You know, if you make publishers' lives easy, 
that they can see the number of people that are playing their published titles on Linux and not experiencing issues outside of what they know to be, you know, the bugs that exist in, in, in their existing, you know, Windows platform compatibility, then they're going to get behind this because it's a almost zero effort um, activity. So, yeah, I, I, I realize that some people will see Proton as the electron for gaming on Linux and it will be the demon seed and it will be berated and chastised in all the usual corners of the internet that those opinions are expressed. But for me, this is this is a, a positive step forward and I, I'll be really interested to see how it develops over the next sort of six to nine months and what other pieces of the Valve jigsaw puzzle fall into place behind it. Yeah, this is one of the more interesting pieces. This is the central piece, right? This is this is the pivotal piece to whatever Valve's strategy may have been at the outset and the various faltering starts. I think this could be the piece that really propels things forward. And it sounds like we get a timeline. Codeweavers gives us a two-year timeline. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, let's see. I mean, there's certainly been, obviously, over the last week. No, I mean, they've been working on it for two years. It sounds like Codeweavers may have been contracted for two years to work on this. Without realizing it, some of the fun and games that Popey and I have had recently, publishing Windows games inside Snaps, builds on this very technology. We just didn't realize we were doing that until these announcements last week. So it's all it's already a net positive for the for the Linux environment. You know, this is this is compatibility and funded development around things that you know, we we already have a good productivity story on the Linux desktop. We already have an excellent developer story on the linux desktop and the conversation always comes around to games eventually yes. and we've had an okay to good story there and we're on the cusp of having an excellent story there so well said well done valve you've put your money where your where your mouth is and you're really making a difference where it counts so one thing that i don't understand is where does the negativity come from with, with both Electron and and this Proton. I, I don't understand. Is this only, From my side, I only see positive. I don't see why anyone would see it negatively. It's pretty simple. Some people just don't like the fact that we're not, that developers aren't being pushed towards using native technologies. It, it's the same old story that, you know, I've got a, a GTK desktop and I hate the fact that there are cute libraries loaded on my system, or I've got a cute based desktop and I hate the fact there are GTK libraries on my system, or I've got a cute and I hate the fact that there's Electron. People should build natively and everything will be super performant and it should be written in native languages or assembler or, you know, they're, they're misguided that they can berate developers into doing things differently to suit them when they are a tiny, tiny speck of an audience. You you can't do that. You need to welcome these developers to our platform. I don't always agree with it, but I think also there's there's some amount of, at least for the desktop side of people, worrying about when you have a shim layer or a common abstraction, then you write to that, and it may not take full advantage of some of the unique features of various platforms. But if people aren't going to do that anyway, if people aren't, for instance, if people aren't making Linux games for you that you want to play or that the market wants, well, then you might want that. But if you're not getting it, what choice do you have? But Proton is a much stronger story in that regard to the other solutions. So we've had the likes of virtual programming in the past, which it grossly oversimplified or a wine wrapper around a Windows game. But it was all single threaded. And at least the Proton development is uh, offers up, you know, multi threaded capability and a whole heap of other stuff besides. So, you know, you've got to appreciate that Valve are you know, a, a means to market for games publishers and they want games publishers to be able to exploit the processing capability of the platform that they're, you know, delivering on. Yes. Uh, and I think as a solution, there are obviously some things about this we should be cautious about, but I think Valve have done everything possible to to smooth things over for people wanting to target Linux through a compatibility layer as best as they can. And I, I, I really feel they should be applauded for this because, you know, 
the Valve coming to Linux in the first place was a massive blooming turning point for uh, adoption of you know the Linux desktop, and this will be even more so, considerably more so. It is as big a deal as everyone's hyping it up to be. I've already talked to several people that I'm like, look, you can play these games now. I know you were holding off. You have a, win- uh, you have a Windows installed just for these. No more, my friend. So I've had those same conversations, and people are very excited by that. But I think there's also an aspect of this that we're maybe not giving enough attention to, and I think it's on the tip of Minimex's mind, and that is Vulcan is the, is the wild card in this. In, in, in some cases, we're going from very low-level DirectX 12 calls, which are already quite similar to Vulcan, and just translating them to native local Vulcan. And that's going to be a big piece, right, Minimac? Yeah, I think that's the whole thing. I mean, that, that whole thing is very future-proof because, as I understand, Windows games supporting Vulcan only have to translate the Windows game part, not the graphics rendering part. That is Vulcan that takes all the stuff. Yeah. And the old DirectX thing is encapsulated in Vulkan. So it is a huge push for Vulkan. And I would like to have some responses of macOS of the Apple people about that. Yes, right. Oh, good point. There's terrible support for that kind of stuff on macOS. I mean, they kind of ebb and flow. Like OpenGL is just horrible right now, but metal support's fantastic. So I guess you just need one more shim <laughs> to convert it to metal. Yeah. Yeah, well there is. There is. There's Molten VK, mm. which is yeah. like the 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 shim to metal for, for Vulcan API calls. Um which is very decent and can certainly um facilitate that those, you know, targeting requirements. But Valve were quite clear that Mac OS doesn't feature in this initiative at the moment or possibly at all. Well, could you blame them? Well, are Mac shipping many devices with significant enough graphics capability to be a serious gaming platform? And unless you're prepared to shell out 12 grand, the answer is no. <laughs> yeah. So why why would I mean that's like super niche? You know, if you, if you think we're a niche audience, but those people that can afford, you know, an iMac Pro with the Vega 64 option and everything else, that is a super niche audience. So you can probably appreciate why they're not, you know, investing effort there right now. Yeah, that's a point well made. I've got one thought at the back of my mind. Okay. That that I'm a little bit like, I wonder how this is going to play out. Mm. This is all great stuff, but as far as I'm aware, and I'm very happy to be proven wrong about this, so if you know better, do contact Chris, not me, do contact Chris, and let him know how wrong I was. He'll bring it to my attention in you know low bandwidth form. Um, Wine is X11 exclusively right now. Mm. I wonder how much of this effort is going to be targeted at bringing proton stroke wine to talk wayland natively or how much of this effort is purely going to be focused around implementing the compatibility necessarily on top of the x11 stack that these games run more reliably and will this defer and push back the general acceptance of wayland as a display server technology or will they become some of our most frequent X Wayland apps? That is, that's a good question, and you have to wonder uh, if it's not a chicken and the egg problem with graphics drivers. Uh, you know, you're gonna to to really develop that, you would need a Linux box with full proprietary 3D graphics to troubleshoot and test, <laughs> and you got to get that first. Well, you you do better with the fully open source drivers for Wayland stuff. Sure. So yeah. you know, yeah. I I, yeah. I I I'm not close enough to the development of these things to know how you know, uh, how prioritized Wayland is in this story and if it features at all or if it features significantly. But I'm I'll be very interested to see whether targeting Wayland is something that's of paramount importance that it helps deliver Wayland to the Linux desktop or if it's something that pushes back the acceptance of of the yeah. Wayland desktop because there is a significant enough performance impact on these games being run through compatibility layers that people just aren't prepared to go there yet. Just as the transition to Wayland was looking simple and smooth, this has to come along. <laughs> 
I can answer this um, because I, I'm working pretty closely with, with Wayland and, and Mir. And uh, I, I would say that the answer to this is NVIDIA. NVIDIA, they uh, play proprietary drivers. There doesn't work at all with, with any of the wireless stuff without needing to, to use their L-Stream uh, APIs. And without NVIDIA support, they, um, most of the, the graphics cars that the game must have, which is NVIDIA, doesn't work on Wayland. So. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's where I would expect the the main course, uh, cause of angst to be. And like I said, a bit of a chicken and egg there. Uh, and uh, maybe somebody could uh, reach out to NVIDIA and encourage them to pick up the pace on that. Maybe. We'll see. Some, somebody. I, uh, there is no need to pick up the pace, though, on the community's uh, development around Steamplay and Proton. There's already really cool sites set up. Uh, I'll recommend one called Proton.City. That's where I learned how to get Age of Empires 2 working. You just type in the game there, and then it'll tell you like the status, the workarounds. It's a little slow right now um, because it's getting slammed, but they've got like reviews and all of that stuff, and it's all dynamically generated. So it's Proton.City. And... Uh, that's how I got Age of Empires working. And I'm very, very, very happy about it. There's also some lists. There's some Google Docs out there that have like all of the games and their status and notes. And it's staggering. It's thousands of games. It's it's so staggering that it kills your browser trying to load the spreadsheet of list of games. That's how, that's how massive it is. And uh, there is just so much energy. There's so much passion um, that this is definitely a net positive. And I have heard people that are concerned that it will – de-incentivize more native games. Steam was pretty upfront and they were they had a good, you know, they talk right there like if I'm if I'm trying to target Linux natively like just just target Vulkan, use that and hopefully like maybe less than in the desktop space, maybe not games are already somewhat disconnected. Now they do need a bunch of, you know, stuff to do to sound and tie to internet and all that, but they're already something that's not just another desktop application. They're a pretty niche use case that's segmented from a regular desktop. So I I think I think we need like a Turing test for Proton. And and I think the rules for the Turing test for Proton are can it run Fortnite yet? <laughs> and until the outcome of that question is an unequivocal yes, then you know, we're not we're not there. But as soon as it runs Fortnite, then we're all sorted. Yeah, we do need to get that. We do need to get that. That is a that is an embarrassing weak spot. I have not really gotten to Fortnite, but I have heard people bring it up, and everybody else, every other platform's got it. That's a good one. Does it run Fortnite? We will wait and see. I bet you it happens sooner than later. It's not published on Steam, so Valve have got no skin in the game on making that one work. Ah, right? hmm. I will. I will include a link in the show notes uh, on how to run Proton from the command line. So there, it is possible to just point it at an executable and go. So that might help. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes if, if I can dig it up again. Also, another link I'll have in there is uh, this. Also helps if you just want to use it sort of outside of Steam. Is there's Proton tricks like Wine Tricks that lets you set some of the oh yeah registry stuff and whatever. I don't know, whatever Windows calls it. Um, so yeah, there's now Proton tricks where you can uh, you can apply actions and whatnot, or uh, apply it even to specific games and things. So people are developing tools around this directories. There's just all kinds of stuff coming together. So it's a good it's a it's a good time for this kind of thing because it seems like the community was just super hungry for it. And within within days, we're seeing all of this stuff get set up, all of these resources, all of these games tested. It's like people are sitting around just waiting to play video games. <laughs> Is there anything else anyone wants to uh, chime in before we uh, wrap this one up? Well, do we think there's going to be another round of Steam machine investment here now that, you know, it might actually be able to play some of the games you want? Right. Yeah. What is next for SteamOS now? And will it be a doubling down? Will it be like integrated into big picture mode and all that? Or is this a acknowledgement that, you know what? You can go get Ubuntu 18.04. You can load our Steam package on there and everything's good to go. The kernel improvements are all there. The graphics drivers work. And with our Steam client, we have all these libraries and Proton now. Like maybe this is a shifting of the landscape and Steam machines are just not as necessary, he says in a questioning voice. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I guess stay tuned and find out. Uh, that probably won't be what we're talking about next week, but we'd love to have you guys join us there. If you're all done 
um, then that's good. You know, we don't have to go get the links at linuxunplugcom slash 264. That's fine. You know, you don't have to. But if you want a little more, you want a little more content, go check out the Ubuntu podcast where you can get more Popey and Wimpy. And uh, their cohort, Mark, is uh, on the Ubuntu podcast, ubuntupodcast.org. Good episode. I love that episode on Academy. That was really fascinating. I thought that was a really well done take on going to an event too. Just, you know, going to an event and then summarizing in a show is not always super easy. And I thought you nailed it, Popey. So great episode of Ubuntu Podcast. Thank you. And uh, go get more Wes Payne over at techsnap.systems. He's at Wes Payne on the Twitter. Do it. And the whole network is at JupyterSignal. LinuxUnplugged.com is our site. Thank you for joining us and we will see you next Tuesday. Let's name this thing. Now, Wimpy, did the title go through that you were thinking we were going to see? Did that uh, make its way through? Yeah, that made its way through. I I went for a super long version and then trimmed it down. (laughs) Okay. Let's go take a look at this thing. JB Titles. It's it's number one. I'm feeling confident in my prediction for this week's show title. Oh, my goodness. That is pretty good. (laughs) It is long, but it is pretty good. I can give you an even shortened version. You can just go for Proton electron for games yeah that's nice that's nice that's yeah that is good all right that's that's going to be pretty hard to beat i also know that's going to irritate irritate people that i know and i'm friends with horribly but hey ho it's 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 <laughs> it's the meme it, it it's summarizing the meme within you know the the peanut gallery in uh, you know four words or less that's all we've ever wanted from a title <laughs> i love it i'm going for it I'm going with the slightly shorter version, Proton, Electron for Games. Now, what were now what did we miss this week, Wes? Oh, I was just going to say we, we didn't – I was happy to see that uh, Proton counts as Linux for you know, Steam Play. So if, if you're going to get surveyed, if you're running it through Proton, it counts as Linux, not Windows. Yeah, that is a good point to make. Yeah, we should have made that in the show. Is the way that it's, – it's, it's always been this way too. It's the way the Valve system works. It's whatever system you've played the most on after two weeks. Who here has purchased a game as a result? Of the Steam Play Beta, I did. Yeah, I did. I, I bought Age I of Empires. <laughs> yeah, so did I. I bought. I bought over a dozen. Um, oh, <laughs> well, they were in packs. They were. They were. They were racing, mm. stroke driving games in packs. So you know, why wouldn't I? Now, when the Steam sale is on, I'm. I'm not going to feel yeah. so limited. I'm, no. I'm going to just go oh. crazy, and my wallet's going to be empty in no time at all. Yeah. <laughs> That's very true. But you do need to check these community-driven, you know, does it work? Because I was looking at those like, is my investment safe? You know, if I buy this thing. And the curious thing is, the only game that doesn't work for me is Doom, which is whitelisted. And I I put my Steam client in give me all the things mode, and everything that I purchased outside of, you know, it's tested and supported worked until I'm, i decided I, i'm going to purchase doom nothing black screen and i'm not music, gonna that's all i'm I not get. gonna do that i'm not gonna i'm not gonna hold back i'm, <laughs> I'm just gonna buy it and have the confidence <sighs> that someone out there will fix this for me and because there are going to be that is the linux way my friend that is the way i'll just rant on twitter if it doesn't work that's the way